Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in talent development. Been running this podcast now for almost five years, and we've had dozens and dozens and dozens of great, great guests on this show. And we've got more great guests coming in the future. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that my primary MO is to find really great experienced guests and tap into their wisdom and experience and share that with you. But from time to time, I like to share some of my own experience and things that I've learned and that I think could be helpful for you. And so today is a solo episode. We're going to be talking about community building. And the reason why I want to talk with you about community building today is because of two things. Number one, I believe the idea and topic and concept of community is becoming more and more popular. I'm hearing about it more often with startups, with companies, and especially with you know organizations that may not be like necessarily coming together for profit, but they could be a community of themselves. And that course could be local community, could be all kinds of different ways that a community is set up. And I'm just hearing about it more and more. The second reason is because Lately, I have been complimented many times as someone who is very good at building community or as a community builder. Many people have said this either to me directly or to other people. I hear them sort of mentioning me as a community builder, a connector, which is what I believe I'm really good at. And if you're almost cringing right now because you're like, wow, he's not being very modest, right? It's because I'm embracing my strengths. I'm practicing what I preach. If you've read my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, or you've listened to any of the keynotes that I give or the training program I go through, I'm a big advocate of embracing your strengths. And one of the ways that you figure out your strengths and you embrace them is that you listen when people compliment you. And instead of doing the thing that we all naturally do, which is to go, oh, you know, I just got lucky or anybody else could do it. You really listen and accept those compliments. You accept that feedback right? Whether it's constructive or reinforcing the great work that you're doing and use that to recognize that, hey, you might have a strength here. It might be something that you do better than other people. And maybe it's something you could build a career or a business around, or at least try to spend more time doing. And that strength could be anything from project management work to administrative work, to organizing or connecting people, to speaking or facilitating, to creating great workshops. It could be anything, right? It could be a number of things, organizing trips. And, you know, we're very quick to recognize our weaknesses, right? For instance, just on the topic of trips, I love to travel And I have taken a lot of great trips in my life, but I'm not very organized. I'm not very detail-oriented. And I see people who are amazingly organized. They've got everything set up and organized for a trip. And it's like mind-blowing to me sometimes. It's actually something I've been trying to get better at. So it's on my mind because as I'm recording this, I'm planning a vacation for me and my wife next week. And I have been trying to plan out more of the details. We also just took a family vacation a couple weeks ago, and I think I did a better job than I almost ever have in terms of planning out the things that we're going to do each day, knowing where we're going to stay and how we're going to get there. Some of you might be laughing, but these are things that I don't always have planned out. I don't often know. We often get places and we're like, okay, we're here now. What do we do? And it's because you know we're not always that good at planning things ahead. Now, there are you know, I don't want to digress too much on this, but there are pros and cons. I've noticed, you know, number the, the, the con is, of course, if we don't have planned th- things planned out, then we often may have nothing to do 
or if we try to book a tour or something, it could already be sold out, right? The pro of that, the flip side is that, is that we tend to be a lot more flexible, or I tend to be a lot more flexible to say, oh, we're here now, I've got time, somebody just invited me to this happy hour or dinner or something, and we can just go do that. That sounds fun. Whereas other people who are very organized, I find, get also very locked into their plans and get frustrated or flustered when things shift, right? So I'm giving all this as an example of the reminder to know thyself, right? Know what your personality is like, what you value, what's important to you, and what your strengths and your weaknesses are. I've also been reminded of that this week as I am, again, planning this trip. And on the trip, I plan to meet up with a good friend of mine I haven't seen in a couple of years. And we've been messaging about it. And I just sense him getting very annoyed with me at different points along the way. And when I really think about it, it's because we have very different values and approaches to how we plan trips. He's a very organized person. And I'm kind of like, oh, I'll show up and we'll figure things out. And, you know, he's like, no, 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 we need to have everything organized and planned. And this needs to have been done six weeks ago. Where the heck have you been? That kind of thing, right? So maybe you recognize yourself on one side of that spectrum. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. By the way, when things are really serious, I'm, I'm working with clients, whatever, we usually have things pretty organized ahead of time. But I'm also very flexible. So if things change at the last minute, it's not a problem for me where it might be for others. So again, pros and cons, you know, the, the message or the lesson here that I'm starting with as we get into this topic of community building, I've digressed into trip planning, but is to know thyself. I think the the concept of owning your career, of being a great leader, of being able to help other people, of being a great connector, a bridge builder, community builder, is to start with self-awareness, is to really understand who you are, what are your values, what are your energizers, what's important to you, and again, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What are those things that you're really good at? And if they don't align with the thing that you want to achieve, the thing that you want to accomplish, then perhaps you might need to get some help. And the help could be training or reading or learning to help you improve at the thing. Or it could be that you have the opportunity to partner with somebody or delegate or assign work to somebody else, right? Or, or outsource if you can. So I do a lot of that as well. Again, you know, I'm not very detail-oriented, so I find that I can I try to delegate that type of detail-oriented administrative work to people, and it saves me a lot of time and agony, right? We don't all have that luxury, but I've also partnered with people. And so as we get into this topic of community building, you might recognize some things that you could do that you're really good at and other things that don't play to your strengths. And But maybe there are colleagues that you work with that you could partner with. Okay. So I mentioned the second reason is because I have been complimented or told many times that I'm very good at this to the point that in the talent development think tank community that I've been running. So I've been, I started the community, by the way, I've been running a community for or nearly three years now. We started the community in May or June of 2020, and I'm recording this in April of 23. So we are coming up on three years of the talent development think tank community. And maybe you have joined or been a part of it at some point. Maybe you have been thinking about it, but you just haven't pulled the trigger yet. And you want to hear more about the power of community. Why would you want to be involved in something like this? Maybe you have heard about it, but you don't care because you've got plenty of other resources that can help you in your job. Or maybe you've never heard about it before. And you're like, what the heck is that? So if you fall in that last category, you can find more information about the talent development think tank community, which is sort of the basis for what I've learned and the conversation today at our website, which is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can also find resources about our podcast and any future events that we might be holding as well. So let's get into this concept of community. Why is this important? Well, 
right away, I'll tell you, you know, another foundation of this is that humans are social creatures. I believe this to my core. It's it's an important part of everything that I do and why I teach the way I teach and the way I do things because I believe humans are social creatures. We are made to collaborate and connect with each other and that's how we've survived for thousands of years and I think we need it intrinsically. And so even though technically we could work and live and survive today without being, you know, connected to others very often, it's not a very pleasant way to live. And lately, I've actually been reading a book called Sapiens, which is a history of humankind, essentially, and maybe some of you have read it. It's very interesting to look back at where Homo sapiens humans came from, evolving over thousands and thousands of years, really for nearly 100,000 years now, some form of Homo sapiens have been walking the earth, most of that time as hunter-gatherers. About 10,000 years ago, we saw the agricultural revolution with people just starting to farm, to stay in one place, to start to form, form villages and raise animals, livestock, and agriculture, plants and fruits and vegetables and that sort of stuff. That was a big change in how people operated, and that has led to the society that we have today. But when you think back throughout history, whether it's the period of us being hunter-gatherers for thousands and thousands of years, or the agricultural society that we lived in, especially leading up to and before the Industrial Revolution, so call that nearly 10,000 years, we lived in tribes or bands or small villages together, sometimes big cities. There were big cities starting, I think, 7,500 years ago with cities like Babylon and then later the Rome, Rome and others like that. Even when you go back to the hunter-gatherer days, there's evidence shows that Homo sapiens lived in small bands of, let's say, 8 to 30 people, right? And the reason for that is that humans needed support from each other to survive. It's very hard to survive on your own, especially if you're out there in a world that's you know, full of large predators and other creatures that could kill you or hurt you. And then later on, when sadly Homo sapiens had killed off almost all of those larger animals, that's a whole other story. We get into agricultural times, and now humans are attacking each other in wars and battles and things like that. And so again, you need to be living in a a society, right, a, with a group of people in order to survive, right? You look at Native American tribes; there were no loners, right? People lived in tribes. They needed to collaborate and support each other in order to survive. And you know that kind of continued even through the Industrial Revolution where people stopped farming as much. You know, before that, 95% of people were working in some form of agriculture. Now it's a very small percentage, but we still need help from other people. But the thing is, we've gotten to a point today in 2023 where this really shifted and accelerated since the pandemic, where people could actually live completely on their own and never see another human being physically. Right. So you could live in a house, you could have a job where you work virtually, you may not even really need to get on that many Zoom calls if you're like a computer programmer or something, right? Order all of your food by delivery, Instacart or Uber Eats or Seamless or whatever it may be, right? And just stay in your house. You could actually live your entire life today without leaving your house. Now, <laughs> I don't think that would be a healthy way to live, but it is possible, right? And there are probably are people who do that now. And I just don't think it's a great way to live, but I'm, I'm sharing that because it's it's kind of mind-blowing that that is technically possible. 
And yet it's not a great way to live. When you think about the way you like to live, whether you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, I think people really like being connected with others. And something I think about a lot lately as I've been operating, going about life in 2023, I've gone back to conferences, I've attended some conferences, I hosted a conference this year, I have traveled a decent amount, and I've been in airports, is that in 2020, that is three years ago when the pandemic hit, it changed a lot of things in business and life. And we proved, we proved as a society that we could get business done without actually going near each other for the most part, right? There are some businesses that absolutely need people still got to be out there, right? But for most of us, especially in like the corporate world, white collar jobs, we proved that we could get business done without going anywhere. We don't need to get on planes. We don't need to fly anywhere. We don't need to travel, right? To get our work done. And yet, fast fast forward three years, when things have opened back up and the airports are full, conferences are full again, and people are everywhere out doing stuff. I go to you know restaurants or the park and it's just full of people. Why is that, right? This is all now essentially voluntary because people have proven we don't need to go anywhere to get things done. We don't need to go to conferences. We can get on Zoom. We can attend a virtual summit. And yet people are going. They're readily paying money, eagerly paying money to go places. I am as well because we need human connection. We just really, really want it. Like we thrive on it, right? And so humans are social creatures. And I think, you know, connected to that, we really love being part of something, right? Community, right? We like being part of a community. And a community essentially is a connected group of people, right? Connected in some way, right? And that could be a school, it could be a church, a religious organization, it could be a neighborhood, it could be a hobby or interest group, and of course, it could be a company, right? A for-profit organization that has shareholders and a group of employees that work there, whether it's 10 or 10,000, that are connected with each other over that common bond. And so I actually sat down, and a lot of people ask me about the essentials to building a strong community. And that's what I'm leading up to. I sat down and I wrote down a list of the really key ingredients to building a strong community. So I've I've built what I think is a fairly strong community in the Talent Development Think Tank. We've got a lot of active members who are connecting with each other, who are supporting each other, who are making friends, who are using it to get better at their jobs. And so I wanted to start to kind of codify what does it take, and it's always going to be different in every, every organization or every situation, but what does it take, what are the key elements to building a really successful community? So here are about seven key elements to building a, an essential and effective, about seven key elements to building a strong community. So number one, it starts with a shared interest or common cause. Now, this could be political, it could be religious, it could be for profit, it could be financial, it could be sports, it could be school, it could be anything, right? But as I mentioned, it usually starts with the basis of an interest. So you make friends at school because you're all there together and you might as well like make some friends and, and have some fun while you're there, right? Same thing at work. Obviously, if you go to church or synagogue or some other religious institution, you meet people there and you are connected over this common interest of faith and the advancement of your religious organization. It could be political, right? You could be actively involved in a political party, right? There are two main parties in the United States, also smaller parties, and there are you know many other parties in different countries around the world. The whole idea of the party is it's an organization. It's, it's a group of people who are now, this this could be an aside, right? Because 
I believe that the two political parties in the in the U.S. tend to be very polarizing, and they try to like group people in that still could have a myriad of different interests. But in general, you've got people who have a shared interest in advancing a certain cause, right? Whether that is gun rights or gun control, it's lower or taxes or more social benefits or you know, you name it, right? Just like tons of environmental issues, like tons and tons and tons of different issues. And there are a few that are sort of like the main issues that parties are known for. And the people involved are connected over a common mission or pursuit of furthering those issues or stopping something, right? So that's the political angle. And then in the company, right? You've got people working together in the common interest of making this company successful. Now we all have our individual interests, you know, you want to be promoted or make more money, you want to feel fulfillment, you want to feel connected to your colleagues, you want to feel like you're contributing something. And part of that is helping this company succeed, whether it's in your own little role or you're contributing, not that your role is little, right? But your own role or contributing to some larger form of the strategy. And and, and that could be in many ways, right? You could be in sales, you could be in IT, you could be in HR, you could be in L&D, you could be in legal. You're all kind of doing your jobs to help that company succeed and to benefit the stakeholders and shareholders of the company. So that's the shared interest, right? You come together because of a shared interest. Number two, there needs to be an obvious benefit, right? So when you're involved in a community, especially let's say a corporate company, there needs to be a benefit for you, right? Most people don't work for free. So it could be a financial benefit. It could be career growth. It could be feeling some sense of fulfillment in a religious organization. It could be feeling closer to God or feel like you are part of something bigger than you. In a sports organization, it could be about getting better at sports and winning, that feeling of winning together. It it could be in the political spectrum, right? It could be about the sense of accomplishment and furthering a cause and feeling like you are making the region, state, country, a better place. Of course, that's up to your perspective, right? There might be people on the other side that feel like you're making things worse, which is the interesting thing about politics, right? But you feel like you're making things better. And so that's the obvious benefit. So there, number one, there needs to be a shared interest. Number two, an obvious benefit. Number three, I think generally there needs to be someone to lead the charge, a community organizer, a leader, a manager. It's hard to run a community or have a community run completely in like a socialist manner where everything is flat and everybody just kind of take care of things, right? So you think about a religious organization like a church, there's usually a pastor or an organizer, you know, someone that's in charge of that church, not to mention, you know, the regional or the bigger group all the way up to the Pope in like the Catholic church, right? You think about a sports organization, there's a coach and there's usually a captain of the team. You think about a political organization, there's usually a a regional leader. You think about those two big parties we talked about in the U.S., in addition to whoever might be the the president or in Congress, there's also usually a head of party for each of the big parties. And that's someone that's kind of making the decision, saying this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. And then, of course, we know in most companies, organizations, there's a CEO, there's a C-suite, and then there's a hierarchy of people on down the line that that are overseeing certain things and have teams under them, and they might have teams under them, and they might have teams under them, right? And so you've got managers, but ultimately you have people, and the CEO is reporting into the board of directors and the shareholders, if it's a public organization, you have people who are in charge who are saying this is what we're going to what we're going to do where we're going to go now how they make that decision might vary and differ right in some cases they may act more like a dictator and just say hey it's my way this is what we're doing 
Or in other cases, they may make it more democratic and, and take a vote or ask people inside the organization what they think and listen to different sides and then make a decision. But ultimately, one person, right? You think about the talent development think tank community that I run. Although I see myself as an equal with everybody in the community, in some cases, I think most of the time they know more than me, and I love having great people in there. Ultimately, and I ask for, I do ask for suggestions and feedback regularly, and I do listen to those. Ultimately, it's my decision, it's my responsibility to lead the charge, right? To decide when we're going to have calls, to invite guest speakers, to invite people to join the community, to kind of enforce some of our, our like, rules and regulations, make sure people are being kind and respectful to each other and they're contributing value and that nobody's being disruptive, right? And if somebody is, then it's my, and luckily, by the way, in three years, I've never had to ask anybody to leave, but I'm always looking for, is someone being disruptive? And it's my responsibility to uh, keep the peace, right? And get them out of there. So that's the someone to lead. So we've got shared interest, obvious benefit, someone to lead the charge, right? Okay. So these are kind of the basics of what we need to form a successful community. The next step, I believe, is authentic connections. And this is where people start to connect with each other because I mentioned you need someone to lead the charge, but it's not just about that one person leading the charge and everybody looking to that person and being there for that person. There are uh, organizations and things like that, but that tends to be, again, more of a dictatorship or a cult, <laughs> right? Or something where everybody's just looking to that leader and it falls apart without the leader. I believe that what really provides value is those authentic connections. It's people connecting with each other and that makes the community stronger. That makes the organization stronger. That makes the culture stronger when people are forming real connections with each other. They trust each other. They can rely on each other. They support each other and they help each other. I see that all the time inside the Talent Development Think Tank community I run. And then you can look at your organization, your company, and ask, like, are people connecting with each other in an authentic way, or are they just showing up to work and going home? And there might be a mix, right? But I've seen studies that show that the more real connections there are within an organization, or the more real connections someone has to others in an organization, the more likely they are to stay and the less likely they are to leave that organization. Because you know, it's one thing you get another job offer, it sounds nice, but when all your friends are at work, it's harder to leave that company, right? So you want to help people form foster real connections. I've also said this many times in organizing conferences or events that people often come to conferences for the speakers and what they think they might learn, but the long-term benefit, what they truly remember are the connections they made, the relationships they built, the people they connected with. I know that's true of the conference that I hosted a few weeks ago. I know it's true of the conf all the conferences that I've attended. I've learned great things. I've appreciated many of the speakers, especially as I get like two plus years away from it. The th things I really remember are the people that I met. I think back to conferences that I've gone to, and I can tell you some of the people I met that I'm still friends with today, and I can't tell you a single thing I learned or a speaker that I heard from, right? Isn't that kind of mind-blowing that we go for those speakers and then we don't remember them, we remember the people we met, unless it was a, you know, especially profound or moving speaker, we often won't necessarily remember those things. Then maybe we wrote stuff down and we still improved our work. I'm not saying those, those sessions were worthless, but I think the lasting impact and the things that we truly remember are the connections we make. And so when people join the talent development think tank community that I run, they might be joining because of me, 
They might be joining because they've heard about how great the sessions are or some of the speakers we have lined up, but the real value they're going to get is in the connections they make, the relationships they build with people. And so I think it's really important to foster and build authentic connections to really set things up so that people build connections. So one of the first things I do when people join the think tank community is I'll look for someone to introduce them to that might benefit them, you know, a commonality so that they can start to build relationships right away. So we've got shared interest. We've got obvious benefit. We've got someone to lead the charge. We have authentic connections. And then the next, the fifth element is possibly the most important of all of them. And everything connects into this. And that is creating a sense of belonging. Do people feel like they belong in this community or do they feel like an outsider? And I have been in communities. I have been in organizations, whether they're clubs or membership communities I've joined or companies where I've kind of felt like an outsider, you know, and that may have been my responsibility, my fault. It might've been, you know, the organizers, but I didn't necessarily felt like I belong. I could still get value in terms of like learning from things. Let's say there's classes or resources there, but the true sense of belonging comes when that community, that organized organization, the organizer brings you into the fold and basically says to you either explicitly or implicitly, hey, you belong here. You're safe here. We want you here. We want to hear what you have to say, right? We think that you can and should be part of this. And when you're able to create that sense of belonging, then people start to really feel comfortable. They feel like, okay, I'm in the right place. I'm home, right? I'm in a place where people accept me. They respect me. They trust me and they value what I bring to the table. And that can be hugely rewarding for the people involved and also for the organizers who are putting it together. And that's the kind of the magic part of the formula is creating that sense of belonging. You know, do you welcome people from all types of backgrounds, right? When no matter what they look like to come into your community, if they have that shared interest and there's a benefit to both sides, right? Do you welcome them in and give them that sense of belonging? And then connected to that, the sixth thing is being hyper-inclusive or creating a sense of hyper-inclusion, all right? So what does hyper-inclusion look like? In this world of hyper-inclusion, everyone is invited to be part of the conversation. Leaders look for those who are not engaged and invite them in to join the conversation, right? And many of you listening are facilitators, and you know this is a key to great facilitation, that every time you run a workshop, whether it's in person or, or on vir- or virtually, in a room of 25 people, you're going to have three that, that always have their hand up that are ready to speak up right away. And you're going to have, you know, 15 or so that are maybe they'll speak up when they're ready. You're not sure. And then there's like, you know, five or seven who would like never in a million years raise their hand. Even if they had the most brilliant idea, they just wouldn't dream of raising their hand in front of a group of people, right? We just have different personalities, right? Different types of people. And so a skilled facilitator and leader will be able to look to those people and say, you know, this person hasn't ever spoken up or raised their hand. It's not because they don't have any good ideas. It's because they just feel shy. They don't feel comfortable or they're waiting to be invited. And so a great leader of a community will look for those who are not engaged and invite them to join the conversation. And hyper-inclusion is, like I mentioned, everyone's invited to join the conversation. Leaders look to involve those who are not engaged and Everyone feels like they have a voice or they can have a voice. So when I invite people to join the talent development think tank community, I want everyone to know that they have a voice, that I value what they bring to the table 
and that I want everybody to contribute. It's not just about me. It's not just about the guest speakers that I bring. It's not about the, the veteran community members who have already been there. I want everybody, it's not about the more senior people, right? I want everybody to jump in and contribute their thoughts. And leaders look to include everyone in the conversation and don't just assume that silence means that they don't have something to say. So I'm always looking around the room and asking, you know, who hasn't spoken up? Who hasn't said anything? And can I bring them into the conversation? Can I call on them without embarrassing them or, you know, putting them too much on the spot? But I want everyone to feel like, hey, we value everything that you bring to the table. And this means facilitating, not necessarily moderating or speaking, right? And many of you are facilitators. You totally get this. But in a great community situation, leaders focus on starting and facilitating conversations so that more voices are heard. All right. So we had belonging and hyper inclusion. I would add equality to this. Equality, of course, is related to that. And there's no friction with equality. There's no friction between the host or the member. Everyone shows up with humility and assumes that nobody is better than anyone else. The leader puts himself or herself on the same level as everyone else. As I mentioned earlier, I don't think I'm better than anybody else, but I do know I need to step up and be the organizer, the facilitator of the conversation, right? And the leader uses communication that works for each person, right? So you may need to get to know what do people prefer. Some people prefer email. Some people prefer phone calls. Some people prefer text messages. Some people are good, you know, posting in the Slack group or just getting on the calls. And the leader does not act above members, right? So this is really important to equality. Now, there's kind of nuances to this when you work in an organization because you stress equality and say, hey, nobody's better than anybody else. And yet, you know that you have a hierarchy inside the organization and you have leaders that are charged with making decisions. And on some level, they're a little bit more important to the organization than the lower level people because they're getting paid more, right? (laughs) They have more responsibility. But as a person, they don't act like they're more important or better than anybody else, right? They come to their direct report, their subordinates, I think is the technically correct word, and say, hey, I value your opinion just as much as anybody else is. I want to hear what you have to say, and let's let's figure out this decision together, right? That's what a great leader is going to do, is listen to their people and create a sense of equality, a sense of inclusion, and a sense of belonging. So all three of those things go together. Obviously, many of us are big on the DEI space, so We know how important equality, inclusion, and belonging are in our organizations, but they're just, if not more important, really the key ingredients to building a great community, whether it's inside a company or you're putting a membership together or it's in a neighborhood, whatever it is, right? You need that equality, inclusion, and that sense of belonging where people feel like, okay, I belong here and... I want to keep showing up because I feel like I belong here. The last thing that I would add, and this is different in different situations, would be providing value. So it kind of goes back to the second thing, which was obvious benefit, but there needs to be ongoing value for the members of the organization. So that And that value may come in the form of connections and relationships. It might be monetary, but I think we all know that while people often join companies for the money, right? Like, what am I going to be paid? That the real fulfillment comes in the type of work they're doing, how much it's appreciated, how much they're growing. So what are people, what value are people getting on a regular basis beyond just a paycheck if they're in a company? But do they, do they feel like they're getting, making friends? Are they getting connections? Are they learning and growing in their careers? What other ways are they getting regular value? And so these are the key ingredients 
to building a strong community. There's a shared interest, right? And so we're, if we're speaking specifically about a company, shared interest, people have already been hired. They're in this company. They want the company to succeed so their career can succeed, right? Obvious benefit is paycheck, health insurance, but also growing your career, learning, and feeling like you know that sense of fulfillment. Someone to lead the charge, right? You've got leaders in the organization, but really helping them understand what their role is as a leader to really ena- enable and empower their people. Fostering authentic connections. So are you helping people connect with each other? Creating a sense of belonging where people feel like, okay, I belong here. It's open to everyone. Creating a hyper-inclusion, inclusive culture. So do people feel like their ideas are listened to, appreciated, they're part of the conversation, that they can speak up? Equality. So do people feel like, one person is better than everyone else, or are we all on equal footing and everybody's voice matters equally? And then finally, making sure that people are getting regular value from that relationship and the community they're in. If you have all of these things, then you have a really great community. And if there's something that I missed, then feel free to message me, reach out and let me know. I'll probably put an article on LinkedIn about this in the near future as well. But I think these are the key ingredients to building community. I've been encouraged by multiple people to create a workshop or a program around this. So I'm going to be working on doing that. And if you are interested in having me come speak in your organization to your leaders about how to build community successfully, I would be happy to come in and expand on these topics and share this with them. Feel free to reach out to me either on LinkedIn or to my email, andy at andystorch.com. And if you're interested in joining a community that is set up for talent development professionals to learn, to grow, to thrive, to become more effective in their careers and more successful in their careers in talent development, then please come join us in the talent development think tank community. You already know from listening to this that I am going to be there organizing things, bringing in great guest speakers and creating a sense of equity inclusion and belonging. So I will invite you to be involved in the conversation. And it's kind of innate in me, I think, to try to create inclusion with the things I do. I'm sure I've made many mistakes throughout my life. I've learned a lot, you know, especially over the last three years since the rise of the social justice movement. But I always have this feeling of empathy and wanting to include everybody who's in a group. And that's, I think, what allows me to run a successful community like the Talent Development Think Tank. So if you're interested in joining that, all the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. I would invite you to join it, to come check out a call. If you're ready to join, you can use the code podcast for 10% off the membership price, whether you do the annual or the monthly should work for both. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me, andy at andystorch.com. All right, thank you again for listening. I appreciate you sticking with me. If you have ideas, suggestions, feedback on this topic, I'd love for you to reach out to me and let me know. And I look forward to talking with you again next time.